0: All right. Welcome to the newest episode of the Sports Rehab Experts podcast. Today we have University of Cincinnati residency coordinator and director of rehab, Jim Tursak. Jim, welcome in.
1: Chase, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Uh, like I said, you know, I think this is a great opportunity for yourself, myself, and you know, all the listeners, the young clinicians, people trying to find their way. So very happy to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: All right. So we talked a little bit in the pre-show. But, Jim, why don't you give us a little bit of background on yourself, where you went to PT school and where you are right now?
1: Yeah, so, you know, taking it back quite a ways. I'm uh, Pittsburgh born and raised. I went to Penn State. I did kinesiology and movement science, uh, so not really pre PT, anything like that. I went back to Pittsburgh. I went to Pitt for physical therapy school. Uh, Graduated uh, April 2020, so just this past year. I did my residency, sports residency at the University of Cincinnati. I just graduated from that officially in June. I've been very, very fortunate, very lucky. You know, I can't, I can't cast that aside. But I've been hired on as the director of rehab for the University of Cincinnati. I am the facility manager for the Novacare Rehab that I run. Uh, that's in the athletic training room, and then also the assistant residency athletic, um, also the the assistant sports physical therapy residency director.
0: Okay, so that's quite a title. Um... So I would kind of want to bring it back even further than that. So what made you get into sports or PT in general, but specifically more into sports and why do you think it's so fulfilling to you?
1: Yeah. So kind of, you know, hitting a couple pieces there. I have that classic, I was injured, you know, I played high school sports. Football was my main sport. I was injured. I've had three labor repairs, uh, but I had a little bit of a different, you know, initiation into it. So I did my rehab and I absolutely hated every second of it. So I loved my physical therapist. I was very thankful for them, but I absolutely hated being there. You know, to me, I'm a high school kid. I want to play sports. This is synonymous with injury. This is synonymous with negativity. You know, I can't do what I love to do. So I hated every second. And I remember vividly when I left after my third one, I looked them dead in the eye. and said, I love you guys. I never want to step foot in a physical therapy clinic again for the rest of my life. <laughs> so then, you know, fast forward, I go to college. And like I said, I did kinesiology. I didn't really know pre-PT, anything like that. I came home after my first after my first winter break, after my first semester, and I talked to one of my good buddies. He went up to OU, and he was doing pre-PT. And I was like, he tours ACL at the same time I was doing one of my rehabs. And I was like, man, that sounds really cool. I was always interested in lifting, strength, conditioning, those kinds of things. And I started to look into those classes and I found that, you know, the kinesis classes were cool. That's kind of what I wanted to get into. And I found, you know, I could get into physical therapy after that. So I kind of went that route. I know a lot of people who took sort of different, you know, med school, AT, all these different things from there. But uh, brought, brought me back to Pitt for physical therapy school. And then the athletics was, I think, you know, kind of destined from the beginning. I think there's, you know, many ways to help people eventually, you know, I came to terms with, it, originally, I wanted to help everybody, you know, we all do, we want to be the expert who's, you know, fix everybody. But I kind of came to terms to where, you know, the people who excite me, the people who want to work with me personally, those are the ones that I can help the best. And there's somebody out there for everyone. But you know, I'm not the person to help, you know, the cardio patient or the neuro patient or those kinds of things, because I know there's somebody with my same passion for that exact thing. So that made me feel a little bit better about, you know, wanting this co- sort of specific, a group of people and those kinds of things. And then for me, the college level seems perfect. So the resources are here, the intensities here. We have all these different sports that I'm working with on a daily basis. Uh, and, you know, it just really seems to be a good home to me. And there's really nothing like putting somebody back on the, you know, pitch, court, field, whatever it may be. It really just is awesome. And then the beautiful thing about sports medicine here is you take them from The very injury, you know, you're out there with the athletic trainers, they do a phenomenal job of you guys all working together, and then you take them from surgery back to court as a team, and there's really just nothing like it.
0: Right, and that sounds like a pretty impassioned answer, and obviously it shows because you've gone through residency. Um, So what in particular made you choose um, University of Cincinnati's residency? Yeah. So for, for sports physical
1: therapy residencies, they're starting to, you know, increase in number, which I think is great because there are a good amount of opportunities, but it's quite competitive. Uh, There's a lot of long running programs, you know, especially the college pro level, high school level, all those different things. Uh, For Cincinnati, for me, like I said, the the college realm really seemed to be number one that I, that was my interest. And they really seem to have the most sports immersion. Um, You know, you're in, The way that we have it set up, you're in the athletic training room essentially 100% of the time because our Novacare clinic is the athletic training room. So I treat community patients every single day in the middle of all the athletes. So we're very fortunate in terms of that. And then, uh, you know, you get to go to practice every day. You get to travel with the teams. You really get to be part of the team. I'm talking to the docs every day. I'm in, you know, surgery every week, those kinds of things. And I didn't really find another you know, program that provided that similar or exact real immersion opportunity. And it's, you know, couldn't have worked out any better. So,
0: I mean, you're in the position you are because you took a, a great opportunity. So looking back at that one year of residency, what's one thing you think you learned that you don't think you could have found out or learned about without this residency? I would probably say,
1: you know, it really is about that interprofessional team, you know, so. I think there's a lot of things, again, in terms of I've communicated with athletic trainers in the past. I've communicated with uh, doctors in the past. You know, there's something that there's a difference between you and I, you know, seeing that person on the field, me taking the tent, us both taking them inside, us both talking to the, the surgeon, all three of us coming up with a game plan on an everyday basis that's um, just completely different than you sending me an email and then me talking to the athlete and me telling them to tell you such and such. It's just really, you know, it's that taste of that true sports medicine team. And again, it's, you know, adding in that physical therapy component. So also, you know, the, the opportunity and ability to be an advocate for our profession in this realm. So, you know, I, I kind of said, you mentioned the other day when we talked on, I believe, Instagram in terms of that takeover that I did, you know, one of the things that I mentioned is people ask about, you know, how do we get PT more prominent in the sports world or the acute world or the sports medicine team? And one of my number one answers right now is the people who find themselves lucky enough to be in it do a good job. So we need to do well, you know, because we need to be there to support other professions. We need to recognize our worth. We need to recognize their worth. We need to set a good example. And not only for the professionals, but also the students I get to work with on a daily basis. So, you know, I get to work with dozens of athletic training students on a daily basis, too. And, you know, I, use, I learn from them every day. I use them as a resource. I try to teach them as much as I can because they're the future of their profession as well. So if I give them a good experience with a physical therapist, then, you know, they're all the more likely to have that positive outlook and that positive say, hey, you know, I've worked with a PT before and it was phenomenal instead of me trying to take things over and all that kind of stuff. So uh, I think there's just that intercollaborative, that interprofessional team and also just kind of multi-level in terms of experience between students and people who've been in it for about 50 years.
0: And so I think that's one thing that kind of has me questioning because, you know, in PT school, we come out as generalists. We don't really focus more on sports. Um, so we don't really have that much exposure to the athletic trainers. Like we never really work alongside them. So what to you works well when working with athletic trainers? Is there a certain like characteristic besides like communication? Like what in specific do you think helps with PT, ATC collaboration?
1: I would, so I'd sort of almost give a net, like a reverse answer in terms of it's something that's lacking and that's ego. So before I even came here, mm-hmm. I was essentially required to read the book uh, "Ego is the Enemy" by I believe Ryan Holiday. It's a phenomenal book. It's a quick read, and essentially, the less you think, you know, in terms of "I'm the healer," "I'm the hero," and my, you know, my philosophy or my job is the most important in terms of fixing somebody or getting them back to whatever they need to do. And the more you understand, everybody around here is mm-hmm. here for a reason. The better off you're going to be. So again, I agree, 100 percent communication is absolutely key. Um, constantly all the time, but you could have the smartest people in the room and if all they do is butt heads, you're not going to help anybody. So as soon as you drop that ego and go, listen, I can help with this and I understand you can help with that better than I could do it, then the person is getting 100% of what they need to receive on all fronts and that's how you get people back safely, that's how you get them back quickly, that's how you get them back to the highest level possible. So as soon as you find a group of people that, you know, they drop that ego and they work well together, you got to hold on to that bunch.
0: Right, and that's something, you know, from, from the outside looking in, um, PT and ATC, sometimes I, f- I feel like people kind of step on each other's toes or they're worried about stepping on each other's toes when I think open communication is, like you said, the easiest thing to f- get the main focus of helping the athlete get back to whatever sport they need to do. Um, so kind of talking a little bit more about the sports medicine team as a whole, um, for your program, how is the sports medicine team kind of set up?
1: Yeah. So if you're looking at the components, uh, just at its core level, you know, just kind of rattling off and I apologize if I miss anybody, but obviously athletic trainers, team physicians, and that's, that includes the head team physician, the sort of, uh, general family health type physicians, the surgeons. So we have general ortho surgeons. We also have specific, you know, foot, elbow, um, hand surgeons, physical therapists, obviously, uh, dieticians, psychologists, um, strength, I you know, I'd, I'd, I'd lump in strength conditioning coaches as well. Uh, those are probably the most people that I can think of off the top of my head. And then it looks different every single day. So if you're looking at, you know, physical therapy and athletic trainers, we're involved in treatments and practice every single day. You know, no matter what team that is, an athletic trainer's covering mm-hmm. them. And then a physical therapist is either there to help on top of the staff or in the clinic doing rehabs, treatments, those kinds of things. And really a mix of both. You're looking at physicians and, and surgeons. We have a schedule for the physicians and surgeons to come over on a daily basis. So we know physician A is coming on Monday, uh, surgeon B is coming on Tuesday. So everybody who you have, you either need evaluated, a post-op, a check-in. We put them on a schedule and they're seen on a weekly basis. And then on game days, you know, it looks a little bit different in terms of you know the entire team's there for everything. So on a football game per se on Saturday we're here at least 6 hours before the game. We get the entire field set up, uh, the clinic set up pretty much, you know, we we bring all the physicians up to date on, you know, here's medications for the day, here's the people we're going to keep an eye on for the day, and then we all work at essentially 110% intensity throughout the game, throughout the competition, and then we all get together after the game, we debrief, here's the imaging we have to do, here's the treatment plans we have, you know, here's the guys to keep an eye on over the weekend, tomorrow, those kinds of things. Now we get right back into the, you know, wash, rinse, repeat. So it's, and and that's what I mean, you know, when we interact every day and every week with these people, it's, you know, it's not an exaggeration. Um, Obviously at the college level, we have, you know, the summer and winter breaks and those kinds of things to where it probably dies off a little. But other than that, it's, you know, full go.
0: So you, you mentioned something earlier about how, you know, for those that are in the sports PT realm now, it's kind of a responsibility to kind of best represent PT since we're a little underrepresented in sports medicine. So what's one way or one piece of advice you would give to aspiring sports clinicians, how to best represent the profession?
1: Again, kind of basic, but do your job. You know, don't, don't try to overreach. Don't try to be the hero. Don't try to, you know, be the Swiss army knife in terms of, you know, Hey, I, I made it into sports and now I need to do everything or I can do everything, do exactly what you're there to do, you know, Focus on that rehab component. Absolutely nail your job in terms of what's asked of you by the athlete and the rest of the staff that you get to work with. And again, they will be very much appreciative of that because whether that staff has admin responsibilities, whether they have you know game day responsibilities, practice responsibilities, they understand on a very base level that you are there to do rehab, to do physical therapy, to get that person better on that front. And if you're not even meeting that standard then one, you're not helping yourself or the athlete, and you're definitely not helping you know, the name of the profession. So you know, be the best, exactly what you're trained to be, physical therapist that you can be, and then build those skills on top, and then get more comfortable in the environment you're in in terms of, hey, where else can I assist? Where can I help you on a daily basis? How can I help you in practice? How can I help you on Friday nights? But again, just showing up to those things and calling yourself a sports specialist is not going to be helpful to anybody. You absolutely need to nail your role know your part, do that well, do it consistently, and then essentially proceed from there.
0: All right, I think that's a great answer and something that's super actionable and very easy to do if you know for someone in the sports realm. All right, so kind of zooming out and like looking bigger picture, now that you've been doing sports PT officially for about a year now, what's something that you view differently about sports PT than when you initially started? Let's say at the beginning of your residency.
1: I would say, you know, the the first thing that I normally think of at this level is, man, it's got to be complicated. Like there's got to be so many, you know, formulas and, you know, the stack full of papers on my desk and, and all these, you know, high complexity, you know, decision makings. It's it's the complete opposite. It's, you know, the basics rule, especially, you know, mm-hmm. what we enforce on during the residency is, you know, the first thing we do for each unit is anatomy. Uh, physiology, biomechanics, uh, the histology of things, etiology of things. It really comes back to the main core components, and you need to absolutely nail the basics in terms of you know exercise selection, uh, timing of progression, understanding of that anatomy, understanding of why you're doing things on a very very base level. And essentially, it's it's the sort of least complex thing. There's just a lot of it. Uh, and again, that's the thing that you need to get that base really wide and really solid before you can build on top of it. You know, there are an importance to high level decision making and, and very in depth understanding of all of these types of things. I'm not saying it's not important, but the basics are certainly the king. And that's where you're going to have the greatest percentage of your success and your consistency. And then the little minor decision makings and nuances that's what comes with experience.
0: You know, you talk about in the residency, you kind of go all the way back to basics, anatomy, biomechanics. So for someone um, that's not in the residency or just wants to be a better sports clinician, what's one way you would advise them to kind of keep up with incoming literature or new ways to you know, teach progressions or teaching about periodization? What's one way that they can do it themselves to kind of keep on top of all that?
1: Yeah. So if you really want to, so obviously, you know, you can do your best to stay on top of literature, right? So if you're part of the AASPT, you'll be getting JOSPT in the Mm -hmm. mail. Um, If, you know, you're fortunate enough to be part of a university in some way, you'll be able to look up all the journals online. If you're part of the NSCA, you'll be able to look up the strength conditioning journal. So, you know, that would be my, that's obviously a core component is staying up to date with the literature, but just staying up to date is not the entire thing. So there are, so many things, especially things that don't need looked at every year, every five years, every decade. Essentially, again, like what I'm talking about in terms of the biomechanics, the anatomy, the special test descriptions, those kinds of things that don't normally change or aren't really tested or challenged by RCTs and all this, they're, you know, they're 10, 20, 30 years old. You also need to have that base as well. Uh, so obviously the literature is important. I think another massive thing too is understanding and doing a little bit deeper dive in strength and strength conditioning principles. So I'm fortunate enough to have a little bit of a strength and conditioning background in terms of, you know, I had my CSCS. I was a strength and conditioning coach for a basketball team for a high school basketball team. So I, you know, I've also put it into practice. Uh, I, you know, I look at the NSCA resources in terms of, you know, they just came out with a, the scientific, um, I'm going to make myself sound like an idiot. There's a, oh, a sports science, um, sports, being a sports scientist. So I think getting resources like that, because if you're going to talk about, you know, building on papers that you probably had in school and didn't even know that they were required, because that happens to me all the time, um, you know, finding those resources is one thing, but then also diving sort of a step to the side in terms of strength and conditioning research, strength and conditioning resources, like the getting your CSCS or at least reading the essentials uh, for some of those things that you're talking about diving into the sports scientists resources, I think is a, is a massive step that most people don't typically take.
0: All right. Well, I think that's all great actionable advice that, you know, most people can take CSCS is, you know, readily available. Um, I took my CSCS last year and I, you know, I haven't put it into use. I'm not a strength and conditioning coach at like high school or anything, but the principles that I learned from there, I apply into, you know, daily practice and I use them quite often. Okay. So I'm a big, college football fan so I kind of wanted to guiltily ask or selfishly ask I guess um what is day in the life of a home game day
1: yeah so I thought you're gonna put me on the spot asking for like you know the inside scoop I I started sweating in a second there uh so yeah day in the life so it, it may depend on the day so you know if let's so we'll give two examples right so we'll say home noon game right so home noon game uh, you gotta be there six hours before. So here at Cincinnati, even for the home games, we stay at a hotel. So you stay at the hotel, uh, come over six hours before we're getting here, you know, 5 36 AM. Uh, everyone's got their responsibilities, right? So you got to do your job. So, you know, getting meds ready, getting, you know, any potential injections that might be needed for that day. Ready getting IV set up, getting the locker room, for the team up here set up and the halftime locker room down by the field, getting the field set up, uh, making sure there's a, if there's any treatments over at the hotel, getting treatments done, communicating back and forth with anybody who's still at the hotel with the team in terms of any status changes, uh, communicating with the physicians when they come in. Team gets here two hours before, that's when essentially the intensity picks up. Uh, they come in, they start getting taped, they start getting, you know, all these different pregame type ritual type stuff, last minute stretches, last minute, you know, clicks, pops, whatever they need. They go see the physicians or our, one of our residents' primary responsibilities is making sure all that stuff happens. So if this guy needs this, you know, medication because he has these symptoms, if this person needs this patch on their ankle, all those different things, he's checking that off. He's making sure that gets done. Um, and then, you know, game time. So that almost feels like you black out. I don't think I've ever been so close to football without, you know, with watching so little football. So, you know, for example, uh, this last game, first play on the kickoff, two kids get hurt. I have to go facilitate that because uh, I'm on the sideline as well. I missed the entire first half. Um, so I'm out of the game for the entire first half. But down on the field, you're essentially, you know, back and forth to where when the offense is in, you're checking on the defense. When the defense is in, you're checking on the offense. So you're kind of running back and forth down the sideline the entire time. And, you know, you look up and first quarter's over. Okay, you hydrate everybody, and then you're keeping everyone going. Of course, there's your injuries. You get people in the tent. Uh, You get, you know, your halftime goes by in the blink of an eye. Um, You hit your second half, you hit your second half and then boom, it's over. And then essentially the team gets together after we look at, you know, what major injuries did we have? What are we going to do about them? You know, who needs an MRI? Who needs an x-ray? Who needs this boot, these crutches, those kinds of things? The, you know, the immediate big deals. And then we look at, you know, who do we got to find tomorrow? Who was sore? Who was cramping? Uh, Who is, you know, kind of like medium on the scale? And then everyone else, we just do our daily check in the next day. But then, you know, game obviously doesn't change for an away game. But say you're talking nighttime away game. So nighttime game, you still got to be at the stadium six hours before. But you still have about six hours before that where you're going to be doing stuff. So you have breakfast. Then you're doing treatments all day. You do lunch. You do a walkthrough. Back to treatments. And then you go to the stadium. You do all your same stadium setup. You do the same game just like you did for four hours. You pack everything up. You get on the plane. And you go home. So it all happens in one (laughs) shot. And those are long days. Um, and then you know, you if you're if it's a night game, you're traveling overnight. Last last year, we went to uh, SMU down in Dallas. Night game ends at about midnight. You know, we get at the plane one thirty. We get back to Cincinnati about five thirty six, and got to be in at work at you know eight nine o'clock. And then mm-hmm. you do twelve hour a day till about 8, eight p.m. And then you know that's your Sunday. So it's you know it's certainly an investment. It can be a lot. Um, And you do that about 14, hopefully about 15, 16 times in a row.
0: Um, Yeah, I kind of like to ask that, you know, day in the life behind the scenes question, because, you know, to some people it might be like, oh, it's cool. You're on the sideline for a football game. But it kind of blocks the fact that you, like you said, you missed the first half of a game because you were treating a patient. And then also you're putting in like 20 some hour long days. And then you have to get back up and be back at the clinic to do your, you know, treat other people the next day. And so it's not always a glitz and glam, you know, as most people might think. So, kind of thinking back to last season when you were there, what was the coolest experience you had during your residency? Whether it be football game, basketball game, gymnastics, volleyball, what's one of the coolest experiences that you've had? Um,
1: I'd probably say so. There's I'd probably say there's two. So there's the kind of generic sort of universal one, and then like the one that was actually just like you know kind of surreal moment was. The more, like, generic one is just that classic moment, you know, that we talked about when, you know, say working with a football team, you have a guy who dislocates his shoulder right, and it's like we're all sitting around questioning, you know, can we rehab him, should we do surgery, can he play, and it's like, you, you kind of do that moment where, like, all right, we're going to give it a go with rehab, and then, you know, two, three weeks down the line, this person's back in there, they make a massive catch, they do some massive thing, and, you know, for a moment, you kind of get a little lightheaded as they go to the ground, and you're like, oh, my God, are they going to get back up? And then they do, and you're like, you know what, like, this is why I do what I do. It kind of – it gives you that real moment where you all kind of look at each other, and, like, it's like a quick, like, fist bump, and then you just go back to, you know, back to the game. So I think those moments in, in the – the idea is that that never goes away, you know. There's always going to be people to help. There's always going to be, you know, people to get back in the game, and there's just nothing like it. Uh, and then the other one that's kind of like single moment, I'd probably say is the Peach Bowl. So I think that was, you know – obviously, you're on a big scale there, Um didn't go the way we wanted, but don't get me started on that. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, just being there, being in an environment like that. And honestly, one of the really cool things was at the time, I really thought I was just going to be here for that year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was like, you know, this is my one shot. And, you know, we, we got to a big stage. And honestly, the most enjoyment for me was to watch all of my coworkers who have been here for a long time, who have been through a lot of seasons and have been with some of these senior guys for, you know, Three, four, five years for some of them. And, you know, just kind of seeing their reaction and their excitement, I think was awesome. So to come in and, you know, facilitate and be a part of that was, I think, just unbelievable.
0: All right. Well, yeah. Thanks for that awesome story. I was really pulling for, you know, I'm a Florida grad. So I was really pulling for you guys to beat Georgia. Um, You guys are close, but, you know, can't always get them all. Um, I'll get, I got one more question. I got one more question for you, and then we'll get you out of here. Um, So what's some advice that you would give? to yourself 10 years ago, as Jim in college, or even a little bit before that, what's some advice you would give that person?
1: Oh, man, if only, uh, I think my number one (laughs) in, you know, I think, I think this is the one I would go with because it applies professionally and personally, but, and I know it kind of contradicts what I'm talking about right now, but advice is, is just that it's advice. So, you know, I've, I've reflected back a few times now that, My life and my career has, again, very fortunately worked out for me. But some things have been shifted and pushed in certain directions because of other people. Uh, You know, when I was interested, you know, when I was going to college, I was interested in like strength and conditioning and athletic training, right? So uh, there's still kind of that you know wish in my mind that I had been an athletic trainer from the beginning and. You know, I listen to other people and they were like, oh, you know, there's there's not a lot of money in that, right? Or there's not a lot of jobs in that or ju- you're just mm-hmm. going to get stuck in a high school. And I was like, okay, maybe I'll do strength conditioning. And everyone's like, oh, you work all these hours and there's not a lot of jobs. You don't get a lot of money. I'm like, "Ah, oh, maybe I won't do that. Uh, and then I eventually found physical therapy. And then, you know, I was like, hey, man, I want to go into sports. And all you hear is, oh, everybody wants to go into sports. You know, there's so many people. So I'm like, ah, oh, maybe I shouldn't do that. You know, maybe I should follow this niche or you're like, oh, you don't get paid a lot and outpatient or I'm like, okay, maybe I'll go home health. And then I'm like, you know what? Maybe I want to do a residency. You know, that sounds intriguing. I want to push myself. I want to really get into it. People are like, oh, those are so hard to get into. You know, I've, I've known all these people who, you know, have tried and they can't get in and, you know, it's so competitive. And, you know, if I listen to any of that stuff in, in terms of, you know, what to do and what not to do, you know, I, I probably, you know may not have ended up here um but again from now on anytime anybody tells me anything in terms of that's a bad idea or you know i wouldn't do that or that's going to take so much time or you know that's very difficult i just kind of go okay thanks you know uh, good then i appreciate it again it's not that it, it can't be helpful it's just it's it doesn't really make my decision anymore so you know take that information in listen to other people but if you feel passionate about it if you feel like it's a good idea if you because you, you're you, right? If you know you're going to put that time in, if you if you go, because my sort of personally famous line that I would go to is people would be like, there's not a lot of jobs in that. And I go, all, all there's got to be is one. And that's, you know, I'm one guy. That's all it is. And I'll do the rest, you know. And, and that may sound a little, I don't know, like arrogant, but, it, you know, that's just kind of the attitude you need to have in your mind in terms of, you know, I know that it's going to be hard. I know there's a lot I got to do, but I'll do it um so you know advice is advice it's just that uh do what you're passionate about do what you want to follow listen to other people but don't do what they tell you to
0: right and i think i think that's a great message for anybody listening to it because like you said i mean that piece of advice about sports being competitive it is competitive but i mean you're here because you wanted to do it and i think that's a great piece of wisdom not advice A great piece of wisdom for everyone that's listening um on that note jim i really appreciate your time um like you said, you were telling us about your 20 hour days and you carved out 30 minutes of your time to talk with me, um, and drop some, drop some knowledge. So I really, really appreciate that. Um, is there anything that you would like to plug like your Instagram or Twitter or anything like that?
1: No, I don't think anybody wants to follow me unless you want to see some goofy stuff and just me talk about (laughs) Bearcats. Then, um, yeah, I mean, you can follow me if you want, you'll find me eventually. Uh, but I don't, I don't do like online videos. I don't do, you know, I'm not smart enough to teach other people yet, so I it you know, I post about bearcats and then maybe some ice cream every once in a while. So, if you want to follow that, you can follow that.
0: All right. Well, thank you, Jim. One last time, I really, really appreciate it. Um, and thank you for listening to the latest episode of the Sports Rehab Experts podcast. Thank you again to Jim Tursack for coming on the latest episode of the Sports Rehab Experts podcast. I hope you learned something new today whether it be general life advice or how to work well in an interprofessional sports medicine team if you liked what you heard please like and follow us on spotify or wherever else you listen to your podcasts